This is the Vape Passion Show, episode 9. Welcome to the show. I'm doing pretty good myself. We just had like two and a half feet of snowfall here in the Denver area. But for anyone who knows Colorado weather, it's not that strange. Okay, so today I'm vaping on the iStick 100 watt temperature control mod, which is actually pretty freaking cool. It does have some issues, like the paint is already chipping off, and I've only had been using this for a week, so that sucks but the performance out of this thing is great. You push the button and it just has immediate power. I love it. I haven't really used any of the temperature control stuff yet. I still need to get into that, but as of right now, I like this thing a lot. And tonight I'm vaping on Enjoy's Peach Tea. I just picked this up tonight from 7-Eleven. Now, this isn't premium stuff, and I don't really need more e-juice. I have so much already, but I just can't help myself. I love trying new flavors all the time. And I was at 7-Eleven and I saw it on the shelf, so I bought it. So I actually used to have an obsession with buying CDs every Tuesday when they would come out. From the day that I got my first job at the age of 16 until my wife got pregnant. So I've had this obsession for about 14 years. And I think e-juice has filled that void. So I've been vaping on it a little bit already. This is 15 milligrams. And something that I really like about Enjoy's e-juice is that they're able to make a high nicotine e-juice that doesn't have an, a really strong throat hit. Now don't get me wrong, 15 milligrams is pretty strong and it does have a throat hit. Not like other e-juices that I've tried at this level of nicotine. I don't know how they do it. Anyway, it, it doesn't have a whole lot of flavor in an RDA. And I know 15 milligrams in an RDA, it's pretty crazy. Especially at, let's see, 0.48 ohms. So at 84 watts, it's a lot of nicotine, but it hasn't gotten to me yet. Oh, and I'm drinking some Sinister Black Ale from Ten Barrel Brewing Company. They're based out of Bend, Oregon. It's pretty good. It's not what I was expecting out of a dark ale. It's actually pretty light, and it seems to have a lot of carbonation, which is really weird. But yeah, it's not bad. Okay, so I wanted to discuss something that I said in my last show. I mentioned that nobody really makes a high-quality 26650 battery, and I still feel that way, but there are some additional points that I should have made. So I had a good discussion with Vapey Dan on YouTube about this, and I realized that I somewhat misspoke. I only considered my own use of batteries, and not how other people use them. And we talked about Mooch's 26650 battery test results from ECF, or the uh, ecigaretteforum.com. And based on all the batteries that he tested, the best continuous discharge rating that he found on the best batteries was 25 amps, which is pretty good for most people. So according to steamengine.org, you could go as low as 0.32 ohms on a single battery running at 8 volts, or 0.16 ohms on two batteries in parallel. That's more than enough for most people. Unless you're really pushing your batteries, you have nothing to worry about. So what I really should have said last week was that, based on Mooch's tests, I don't believe that any 26650 battery compares to the highest of quality of 18650 batteries. For example, the batteries made by Samsung, Sony, or LG. But there really are some quality 26650 batteries out there. The biggest thing for me, though, is that Mooch mentioned that a lot of these batteries are rewraps and it's hard to tell what batteries they actually are. So unless you know that you're buying an authentic, high-quality 26650, you do still need to be careful about what you're buying. But to be fair, that goes for 18650s too. Alright, well with that said, let's get into the stories. Okay, so Forbes just recently published an article about the recent drama regarding the celebrity doctor Margaret Cuomo and her video that was published on Huffington Post about her claims regarding that vaping is just as dangerous or more dangerous than smoking. So what Jacob points out in his article is that Dr. Cuomo is spreading misinformation about the hazards of vaping and actively discouraging smokers from making a switch that could save their lives. So I'd already talked about this last week and about how Dr. Siegel had already disputed all of her claims. But after Dr. Siegel pointed out that there's no evidence to support her claims and other health experts did the same, 
she actually decided to retract her statement about e-cigarettes raising the risk for lung cancer and, and other cancers like liver cancer. So that video that she released last week, or the video that Huffington Post released, has been edited and now omits the cancer claim. And they've also removed the claim that tin has been detected in the aerosol produced by e-cigarettes, as well as her claims that vaping generates hazardous chemicals that aren't found in tobacco smoke because we know that they are. So there were so many bad claims by Dr. Cuomo in that, that video. What Jacob points out in his article here on Forbes is that according to a 2013 analysis of 12 brands that was reported in the journal Tobacco Control, the levels of potentially toxic compounds in e-cigarette vapor are 9 to 450 fold lower than those in the smoke from conventional cigarettes. And that based on all of this research that we already know exists, there's really no scientific basis for Dr. Cuomo's warning that e-cigarettes are at least as harmful to your health as regular tobacco cigarettes are. And Jacob points out that, not surprisingly, she cites no evidence to support her claims other than the mention of the four carcinogens, which are benzene, cadmium, nickel, and formaldehyde, which have been detected in vapor at very small amounts and far lower than in tobacco smoke. Anyway, it's good that the Huffington Post edited that video, even if it's still inaccurate, but it's good to see that with all of us, sharing our voice out there, we can make change to this misinformation. Okay, moving on. So I saw this story on Reddit. So he explains that his cousin came up to him and started asking him about vaping and mentioned to him that he was looking into getting one. So he told him that he doesn't recommend it, but at the same time, he was thinking like, if, if his cousin is gonna get one anyway, he'd like to make sure that it's as safe as possible, or at least to deter him a couple of years until he's old enough to legally vape. So he asked the Reddit community if they could assemble some articles on the negative effects of nicotine on someone his age and other relevant information. So I think there was a lot of good advice in this, thread. Uh, a lot of people were saying things like inhaling hot gases of any kind is not good for your lungs. And I think that's a good point. You know, breathing in vapor is not going to be safer than breathing in air, at least not from w what we know right now. Or who knows, we might find out later that there is no negative impact of vaping. But as for right now, I do agree that it's probably safer not to vape if you're not already a vapor. But some of the other things mentioned here were that at that age, he's probably going to do it anyway. So what you could do is at least try and convince him into using zero nicotine e-juice. Because while we do know that nicotine isn't necessarily that bad, it can be addicting. And there's also a, a psychological addiction linked to the action of vaping. You know, just like with smoking, which is why a lot of people, a lot of us have been successful with vaping is because it's the whole act of grabbing the mod or grabbing a cigarette, putting it to your mouth, taking a drag and blowing out that smoke. So that's one good reason why someone shouldn't take up vaping if they're not already a vapor or a smoker. But one other point of advice that he got was that, well, it's illegal. You know, you're gonna, if you, if, if the kid is gonna start vaping and he's gonna use nicotine, he's gonna have that addiction. Now it'll, it won't be anywhere near as addictive as smoking because from based on a lot of the research that we've seen, nicotine by itself really isn't all that addicting, but it can be addicting. And if he starts needing that nicotine and he's underage, it's gonna be really hard for him to get it. And that's not to mention that if he gets caught vaping underage, I don't know what state he's in, but he might get a ticket. And those aren't going to be easy to pay off at that age. So within that thread, there was another interesting discussion that started up about a guy who was approached by an underage kid from his neighborhood who was also vaping. He approached him and started talking about vaping. And this guy, he noticed that the kid was had a really crappy battery in his mod that was falling apart. It, the wrap was all torn up. And he's wondering what he should do. If he should help the kid get a new battery or just let him go on his way, maybe explaining the 
the dangers of using a battery like that, but then letting that be it. So there were some pretty good points made in here. Most everyone who responded was saying, absolutely do not buy him anything. That's not his place. And and then what, if ha what happens if the kid uses this battery that the guy bought and he trashes the battery again, the battery vents, the kid gets burned, and then he points the finger at the guy for buying him that battery. He's setting himself up to be sued. So that's something I never thought about because if I was put on the spot by an underage kid and I saw that he had a really bad battery, I think I probably, without thinking, I would consider getting him a new battery too. But after reading this thread, I think it's a, they make some really good points that you could really be putting yourself in a bad spot by doing something like that. And you're better off just talking to the parents and explaining to the kid how dangerous using a battery like that can be. So in either of these cases, what would you do? If you had an underage family member approach you and ask you about vaping and them telling you that they're 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 thinking about getting a vaporizer would you try to dissuade them from buying one and likewise if you saw an underage kid using a dangerous battery what would you do in that case would you buy them a new battery would you talk to their parents what do you think the best way to go about that would be that's a pretty hard one for me to answer honestly okay so let's go to the next story here this is another one from dr siegel's blog titled Public Health Malpractice Nursing Journal article recommends scolding smokers who quit using e-cigarettes. So in an article published in the Journal of American Association of Nurse Practitioners, a University of Pennsylvania nursing school professor made a, a bunch of clinical recommendations regarding communications that nurses should have with their patients about tobacco and nicotine use. One example from the author being, currently it is neither advisable for practitioners to recommend e-cigarettes for smoking cessation nor is it recommended to recommend patients for making the switch to e-cigarette use over traditional cigarette smoking. So basically what the author is saying is that health practitioners should scold their patients who successfully quit smoking using electronic cigarettes. And as Dr. Siegel points out that it's ridiculous and may represent public health malpractice. So another thing the author said is, the majority of adult e-cigarette users studied in the nine research articles in this review perceived that e-cigarettes contain less toxins than traditional cigarettes. This could be because of the marketing strategies that label e-cigarettes as healthy, or the fact that they come in a variety of flavors. So Dr. Siegel says, well, there's another possible reason for this perception, namely that e-cigarettes do contain fewer toxins than traditional cigarettes. So with that statement that the author made, they're implying that to call e-cigarettes healthier than smoking is incorrect or dangerous, but that perception is true. It is healthier than smoking, and we know that from all of the research that's already out there. Could you imagine someone writing something like, Many people have the perception that exercise and dietary changes can help them lose weight. Wouldn't a statement like that imply that the perception is incorrect? It's not just a perception, it's the truth. So what Dr. Siegel says here is that it would be one thing if the author merely recommended that e-cigarettes not be used as first-line therapy, but to actually counsel health practitioners not to commend patients who quit smoking, regardless of how they quit, Re reveals much about the state of the current tobacco control movement. It's not enough for smokers to quit. They have to quit the way we tell them to quit. It's really a dangerous line of thinking for people in the anti-tobacco movement because it's stuff like this that could keep people smoking. Okay, so let's go on to this next article. This one is titled, New Method Measures Nicotine Delivery from E-Cigarettes. So this is based on a study from Konstantinos Varsolinos where the summary says, the effectiveness of e-cigarettes as a smoking substitute will likely rely on whether they can consistently provide the amount of nicotine a smoker needs to resist the desire to return to traditional cigarettes. So what Farsalino's study found was that first-generation e-cigarettes, the ones that use cartomizers, 
deliver nicotine less consistently than later generation e-cigarettes, and that the consistency of nicotine delivery from the, from atomizers and later, later generation e-cigarettes is similar to nicotine inhalers and tobacco cigarettes and within the acceptable limits for medicinal nebulizers, and because consistency in nicotine delivery from e-cigarettes is a requirement of the EU's Tobacco Products Directive. This study provides clear evidence that newer generation e-cigarette products perform better and are likely to be more effective as smoking substitutes. So with what I've been hearing about the TPD in, in the UK, it sounds like there's a lot of danger of really good products being banned from the market. So hopefully they see this study and they see that the products that we're using now are just as effective as all of the other cessation products on the market and might even be more effective. Okay, so let's go on to the next topic. There's this thread on the e-cigarette forum where this poster, he mentions that his employer is charging 50 extra dollars a month to people who are using nicotine. So we talked a little bit about this in a, a couple episodes back, but I wanted to bring this up again because someone commented in the thread who works in insurance doing medical data compilation, and he mentions that he's found that more and more companies are screening for nicotine use for life and health insurance policies. So he says that from what he's seen doing his job, these companies, they'll check your labs for nicotine and if you test positive for nicotine, no matter where it comes from, you can face severe consequences by accepting a policy as a no nicotine user and then later being found that you actually do have nicotine in your system. And in some states, lying on an application like this is a crime. And in the case of life insurance, death benefits can be denied even if the death is unrelated. So that's pretty scary. He says that you should think long and hard about lying on your application like this and that if you plan to go back to nicotine, it's safer just to pay the extra premium. So further on down in the thread, there was a link to a page from Cigna on nicotine tests where they mentioned that if you are no longer a smoker but you are using a quit smoking aid like gum or a patch, your test results may come back positive, but you might be able to get another test that can show that you are using a quit smoking aid and not tobacco. So that's something to consider if you ever put in that situation. So I know that a lot of people put themselves down on health and life insurance policies as non-smokers even though they vape, and that's because, you know, to us, vaping is not smoking. We know that. It's, it's nowhere near the same thing, but a lot of insurance companies don't differentiate between the two, and really that's something you need to think about when filling out these policies. To play it safe, you should talk to the provider about what their policies are regarding vaping, and if you have a choice, pick one that knows that vaping is not the same as smoking. Alright, so moving on. TaxFoundation.org just published an article called Vapor Products and Tax Policy. So some of their key findings from their research is that in 2015, at least an additional 23 states considered excise taxes on vapor products. So what an excise tax is, basically just a special tax set for a very specific product. So what they found is that excise taxes as a whole make up 3% of the federal budget, and tobacco taxes specifically comprise an average of 2% of state budgets. So when you add it all up, that's quite a bit of money to these states. So there are four states now who have excise taxes on e-cigarettes. Those are the District of Columbia, Kansas, Louisiana, and Minnesota. And then there are also three counties, uh, Montgomery County in Maryland, and Chicago and Cook County in Illinois. And in 2015, there are actually 23 states who have proposed excise taxes on e-cigarettes. You can find a whole list of those in the article. They also published a really helpful map that shows where these taxes are being proposed. So you can just get a quick look at that and see if your state is on the list. So anyway, what do you do with this information? Well, if you live in one of the states that already has an excise tax, you can start a petition to get it reversed. If you can get enough people talking about it, hopefully the regulators will reconsider. And if you live in a state who ha is proposing excise taxes on e-cigarettes, then do what you can to take action. Join whatever local advocacy groups you can. Take part in any kind of 
hearings that are happening in your area and just be active in your community to educate people why taxes like these are bad. One of the biggest reasons being that punitive taxes on vapor products like this could close out options for cigarette users who are trying to quit and it could also shut down businesses because when vape shops have to pass these taxes onto their their customers, their customers are just going to go buy from somewhere else. They're going to buy out of county, out of state, or buy online. Okay, so moving on. Here's an interesting article from eSigIntelligence.com. So they just released a new report examining how different entities in the U.S. are looking to regulate advertising and marketing of e-cigarettes. So you need to be a paid registered member to view these reports, but they do have a summary here on their website about what they found. And so what they mentioned here is that there are a few states here that are proposing or have already enacted laws that are limiting e-cigarette advertising. And those states are Texas, Utah, Oklahoma, and Washington. But what e-cig intelligence is pointing out here is that some of these challenges might not, not actually be constitutional. So one example here is that the city of San Diego attempted to create a 1,000-foot buffer zone around areas such as schools, libraries, gaming arcades, recreational centers, and childcare facilities, not allowing e-cigarette advertising in those areas. But that proposal was actually challenged, and it was found to have violated protections on commercial speech. So I looked up the definition of commercial speech, and that is speech such as advertisements where the intended audience is commercial or targeting actual or potential customers. So commercial speech has some protections under the First Amendment, but not full protection. But it is protected as long as it's truthful and promotes products that are legal, such as e-cigarettes. And that's why that proposal in San Diego failed. So we're seeing this in a lot of different places. Critics are, they want to see restrictions placed on advertising nearby schools and other sensitive areas. But what we know now is that banning advertising near these areas is unconstitutional and the courts can't allow it. So what do you guys think about that? Personally, I think that it's a good thing that they can't ban advertising in these areas. Not that I think that anyone should be advertising to kids, but by including all of these areas, schools, libraries, arcades, rec centers, childcare facilities, they're everywhere. And a thousand foot buffer zone around all of those areas, that severely limits how much advertising can be done for vaping products. And in my mind, that could be a, a really bad thing for getting current smokers to switch to vaping. Okay, so let's go to the next story. So this is a fun one from eCigaretteReview.com titled Top 10 Most Expensive E-Juice Flavors. So what they did to put this list together was visit a few vendors and just look for the most expensive e-juices that they could find. So based on their research, here's the list. So Ronin at number 10, is $22.50. All of these bottles are 30 milliliter bottles. Boss Reserve by Cutwood, $24, which I've tried and is really good, in my opinion. Creme de la Creme by Philip Rock, $24.99. Mystique, $25.99. VCT Private Reserve by Ripe Vapes, $29.99. Five Ponds, all of their e-juices are expensive at around $27.50. Black Note, $29. Castle Long Reserve by Five Ponds is $37.50, which I've also tried and have reviewed. If you like your e-juice to taste like wild turkey, you'll like that one. Number two, Quartet by Black Note, $39. And Wisdom, $39.98. $39.98. Could you imagine spending $40 on a 30 ml bottle? That's a lot of money. So I'm not one to, to usually buy expensive e-juices. And that Five Ponds Castle Reserve, that was sent to me for review, so I didn't actually pay for that one. And that's why I chose it, because the company who contacted me to review one of their e-juices asked me to pick an e-juice that I wanted to try. And Castle Long is something I would never have paid for myself, because I just don't have that kind of money to be spending on e-juice. So I picked that one. But anyway, I like the comparison here that they made in this article that expensive e-juices are like top shelf whiskey and fine wines. And I agree with that sentiment. I certainly can't afford to vape e-juices like this very often, 
but every once in a while I will pick up an expensive bottle, not $40 worth, but you know, maybe $20, $25. And usually in my experience, I haven't been disappointed by buying an expensive bottle of e-juice like that. But I would suggest to anyone considering buying an expensive e-juice like this that they do go to their vape shop and try it out first because that would really suck to, to spend $40 on a bottle and hate it. I think something like that could put off someone from buying another really expensive e-juice and one that they might actually really like. For example, when I did the review for Castle Long from Five Ponds, now that's not a juice that I would ever buy because not only is it expensive, but it's pretty different. It, it's a whiskey flavored e-juice. But the thing about it is that it's so unique and the flavor of it is really complex. It was a it was a fun one for me to, to vape, and, and while I don't vape that one hardly at all, there are occasions where I, I just feel like I wanna pull it out, take a few drags, enjoy it, and then put it back in my shelf. And after having tasted it, I feel like it would have been unfortunate for me to have not have ever experienced it. Do any of you guys vape really expensive e-juices? Okay, moving on. So I found this thread on e-cigarette forum titled, Advice Please, DIY Flavor Extraction. So this person mentions that he wanted to get into making his own e-juice flavors from real natural ingredients. So what he did is he bought a bunch of mason jars, a gallon of food grade VG, lemons, cucumbers, coffee, loose leaf chai tea, and loose leaf lemongrass tea. What he did was fill two mason jars with these ingredients, then poured VG into all of them, filling them almost all the way up to the top. So he let them sit in a closet with no sunlight, below room temperature, and has been agitating them daily for a month. So when he opened it up, they smelled really good. But when he dripped a little bit onto his atomizer and vaped it, it tasted awful, like old rotting plant matter. There are a couple of really good comments here. One person mentions that it could be the VG causing the ingredients to decompose, and what he should instead do is use PG, which other people have used successfully. So another person here says that he always uses PG and then heats the mixture for five seconds in the microwave. Then, before he vapes it, he adds VG, nicotine, and a sweetener, whatever the, his sweetener of choice is. And this might actually be why you see a lot of flavor companies using PG-based flavors, because it might be that VG just doesn't work well and it causes the ingredients to rot. This is something that I've never actually thought about before, but I'd be really interested in trying. It would be really cool to make my own flavors from natural ingredients, knowing exactly what I'm putting into it. And I think I'm going to probably do some research on this and give it a shot. If any of you guys out there watching or listening have done something like this, flavor extraction, and you have some tips, please let me know because this is something I really want to try. Okay, and the last one here, another fun one from the e-cigarette forum. This one is titled, Your Last Day on Earth, What Juice Would You Vape? So for me, that one's easy. I would vape Smurf by Vaporgate. That is my absolute favorite e-juice. I bought a bottle of it last year, and I vaped most of it really quick. And then when I got towards the end of it, I just stopped because I don't want it to end. I'm saving it. Every time I do a, a new build and put a new cotton in my atomizer, I usually break it in with Smurf because I really want that clean, crisp taste from Smurf on a fresh build. But there's there looks like there's some really good recommendations in here so far. There's not a whole lot, but none of them that I've ever tried, but I think that I want to. So, so far in this list from commenters is Lola by Traditional Juice, Boba's Bounty, Telio's Dusk, Button Junkies Vulture Punch, Beantown Vapor's Lemon M, Solar Flare from Mount Baker Vapor, Big Willie's Custard, and Charlie Noble's Pistachio RY4. So I know we all have different tastes when it comes to e-juice, but to answer a question like this, the last day on earth, what juice would you vape? And to answer that question with just one e-juice, I'm willing to bet that a lot of these e-juices are really good and are worth a shot. So check out that thread if you get a chance and chime in with your own recommendation or just go there to get some ideas for the next e-juice you want to buy. Okay, so that's going to do it for this episode and I'm glad too because my back is killing me. 
my grandma's moving out of her house and I was over there helping her the other day and I had already, I think I pulled a muscle when I was shoveling the that two and a half feet of snow last week and I think I made it even worse when I was helping her move stuff around so I need to get out of this chair. But anyway, you'll find show notes for this episode on vapepassion.com. You can follow me on Twitter at vapepassion and on Facebook and YouTube. If you want to be notified of new episodes, you can go subscribe to my newsletter on my website. And yeah, that's it. All right, so I hope to see you back again next week.